Eric Estep here. One of my favorite parts of being a NASCAR fan is collecting diecasts. It's how I got my start on YouTube, actually. To me, a room is not complete until it features shelves of NASCAR diecast cars. It's as good a time as ever to continue your collection or begin an all-new one by pre-ordering your favorite driver's 2022 next-gen diecast at LionelRacing.com or at any authorized Lionel retailer. Lionel is the official diecast of NASCAR, and don't miss Lionel Racing's NASCAR Authentics diecasts at a Walmart or Target near you. Not only is Lionel the official diecast of NASCAR, but they're also official supporters of the Out of the Groove Podcast Network. So what are you waiting for? Head to LionelRacing.com to order your favorite driver's 2022 diecast. Hey, Ben, it's Jerry. Hey, Jerry, it's Ben. Man, I got to ask you, how long have you been covering and following NASCAR? A lifetime. And that's me too. And that's how fitting is it that we're the host of a Lifetime in NASCAR podcast, a weekly uh, podcast that highlights NASCAR's illustrious history with analysis and anecdotes from a couple of NASCAR historians, namely Ben White, the gentleman at the other side of the microphone, and myself, Jerry Bunkowski. We're going to discuss with you some contemporary NASCAR topics and everything we've heard through the years. We've got some great stories, and, I'm, and you know, we've gotten a lot of feedback. People are really liking our stories. You'll learn about where the sport has been, where it's going to go, and the inside scoop on some of the craziest stories you'll ever hear. Welcome back to the Lifetime of NASCAR podcast. I'm Jerry Bunkowski, joined by my buddy Ben White. Ben, episode 37 that we're, uh, this, this episode is in episode 37. And you know, this is a very uh, significant podcast for us because, um, you know, this is obviously the final race of the season in the NASCAR Cup Series. Phoenix Raceway has a great history. We're going to get into some of that. I mean, great, great stories we've got lined up for, for the listeners here. But, you know, let's let's start, talk a little bit about Martinsville, how we got through Martinsville. I mean, crazy uh, race, crazy finish. I don't think I can ever recall a driver basically. Sl- well, he didn't slam in. He bumped into him. Denny Hamlin bumping into Alex Bowman, the race winner uh, on the front stretch and kind of prevented Alex from doing a burnout. I've never seen it before. I mean, have you ever seen anything like that at all? No, I really haven't. I've seen some drivers. Uh, get into each other uh, after a race like that, uh, and lots of them before <laughs> before the race ended, of course. But no, I never have really seen a driver prevent another driver from doing uh, a burnout. You know, it's kind of funny at Martinsville, the first, uh, gosh, I want to say, oh, let's call it the first 400 laps where things were kind of calm mm-hmm. and sort of waiting. Uh, it's sort of like looking at the beach and you're sitting in the sand and you see uh, the clouds way off in the distance and you you've been hearing rumblings on the weather channel saying there's a hurricane coming <laughs> and it's right. kind of calm, you know, kind of calm waters, but they keep saying it's out there somewhere. And you're like, mm, I don't see anything. I really don't see anything. All of a sudden the black clouds start to come and okay. They said it was coming and boy. And then that last 75 laps and then that was 50 laps and 25 laps and they were right. Boy, there were some tempers that, uh, that flared. And and especially, you know, when you heard uh, all the commotion going on in the last, say, 25 of those mm-hmm. laps, man, I'm telling you what, emotions everywhere. And that's kind of what it was like at Martinsville. And that's what we said on last week's podcast. I just felt like, personally, I felt like it was going to get wild and crazy. And I really, I don't know why, I just had this feeling that it was going to be a driver to go to victory lane that was not in that top eight. And I don't know really why I had that feeling. It's just one of those things that you just feel like you're, you're doing something and you just have this, this, I don't know, this premonition or whatever you want to call it. I didn't know which one of those drivers was going to be outside the top eight to go to victory lane, but it happened to be Alex Bowman. And, and man, I'm telling you what, it was just, Martinsville is one of those racetracks where, where I don't know, the emotions come out, the brakes get pumped, everybody, all the fenders get bent. And uh, it was just one of those days. And and we saw it come to fruition and you saw all those guys, the four guys going to Phoenix to go for the championship. Well, now, you know, I've got to ask you this. And, you know, when I looked at what Denny Hamlin said, okay, I can let that go. 
but I'm really surprised. Now we're taping this podcast Tuesday, so this could change, you know, after we we uh, record this thing. But are you surprised, as I am, that Denny Hamlin didn't get any kind of a penalty or some kind of an infraction for what he did by bumping into Bowman on the front stretch? I mean, you know, I, it just to me that was such a blatant um, uh, episode or incident, rather that. You know, uh, I, I'm. I mean, should he be penalized? Should he not be penalized? I mean, I've seen a lot of fans talking about it. They were talking about it on Sirius uh, XM NASCAR radio that they feel he should be penalized. What, what's your take on that? I, I do think so. I think you know, it's it's one of those deals to where he has a championship caliber driver, and uh, you know, he's he's looked up to as that, and I, I just don't think that was called for. I think you know. Uh, I mean, let's be real and let's be fair. There's been times that Denny's been on the other end of that yep. stick and uh, he's well, hasn't been shy at putting some people in the wall himself. Mm-hmm. I remember one time uh, I've, I want to say it was, it could have been Martinsville. Let's just say it this way. I know he and Chase Elliott have had some, some mm-hmm. bent fenders and bent feelings uh, after a race might've been Richmond, but anyway, it was, he's been on the opposite end of that. And, uh, and, you know, I just don't think it's good for championship caliber drivers to get into that kind of, uh, melee at the end at racing is racing. And I think you, you stand your ground and sure you do, but at times I, I just don't think that was the right behavior to, to, to come out with at the end of the day. Um, uh, and to show that on national TV, I really don't. I just don't. I was not a fan of that. I think you have to. You're in a different league of uh, being, you know, uh, to make sure that you're acting the way you should act if you're a championship driver. And I just don't think that was the right way to go. Well, you know, there, here's an interesting contrast, though. You know, it was bad enough for Kyle Busch that he failed to make the championship four. I mean, he was, you know, right in the bubble. And unfortunately he, you know, for him, he did not make it, but then he, he did utter the R word as they're saying, mm-hmm. and NASCAR mm-hmm. penalized him. He's got to go to, um, uh, I was, it's not, it wasn't the anger management. It was, I was sometimes like sensitivity. Training, that's it. Sensitivity, that's right. Sensitivity, right. right. So that's, I, 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 I agree with NASCAR to penalize Bush, but, I also think they should have penalized Hamlin. I just, it's, it just, I mean, I think what Hamlin did was probably more egregious when you look at the overall picture, especially with him being a championship four driver. And, you know, what, what's your take about the Kyle Busch thing, you know, in relation to Denny Hamlin, Bush gets penalized Hamlin up to this point, you know, as I said, we're taping this on Tuesday has not been penalized. Okay. Well, first of all, you know, if you're a driver and you're in the cup series, you're the, at the highest level of stock car racing in the world. And you're, I feel like that you have to operate on a much higher level. Mm-hmm. It, well, I mean, let's take it. Let's take a, a star baseball player, star football player, star basketball player. You have a lot of people looking up to you, especially younger people. Okay. And they look at you as a hero, so what your actions are, uh, are very influential to those folks, especially uh, in NASCAR, because you are not only conducting yourself, but you're also representing a major sponsor. Right. And in Kyle's case, he's very much representing a sponsor that uh, attracts children, yes. meaning M&M's. And so that's just, you know, you have to be constantly on walking a chalk line, but that's what you signed up for. And whatever your sponsor is, you have to make sure that you are on top of your game. And we all do, not just, you know, myself, yourself, everybody, you need to make sure that you're, uh, you know, you're walking a chalk line because you're, you are an example to younger children and younger, younger fans. And I just, well, no matter what, I mean, you know, sure, you want to win a championship, but there's a much, much bigger picture here that we're talking about and how you conduct yourself in public. We all have to do that. Right. And uh, whether you're a superstar or not. And so I, you know, I just think, okay, a championship is, is extremely important, but I think how you conduct yourself is way more important than a championship. And, you know, I, you know, and, 
Kyle Larson, for instance, I mean, I know he's not perfect. None of us are perfect. I'll stand in line and hold my hand up and say, I'm absolutely not perfect. I make many mistakes, but his comments were, we're going to go to Phoenix and we're going to see if we win a championship. And if we don't, we, if we do, we do, we don't, we don't. And, uh, you know, I admire that. I mean, he's just going to go and do his best. Now, I just think that we need to, yeah, you get a heated moments. We all have times that we fly hot and get angry and what we still have to watch our tongue and be careful what we say. So that's my take on the whole thing and how we act after, after the, when the pressure's on, we have to still act like gentlemen and be careful what we do and what we say. That's my I agree. take. I agree. And you know, and the thing about Kyle's in your Kyle's situation, um, I think that NASCAR is obviously very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Diligent and cautious of any offensive word. And I'm not, when I say offensive, I'm not just talking about a cuss word. I'm also talking about, you know, the N word and obviously the R mm -hmm. word. And with what sure. happened with Kyle, or I'm sorry, with, uh, with Kyle Larson last year and how they, you know, they, they reacted and penalized him. I can understand why they did what they did with, with Kyle Bush. Um, but you know, it's, and I, and you, you, you put it so eloquently, Ben, I mean, I would like to have a, I'm, I'm going to keep that recording of you saying that how you, <laughs> how you did it, because I mean, you, you hit it on the head. I mean, you hit a home run on that one. And, you know, I know it was in the heat of the moment. I'm willing in certain instances to give a guy a little bit of cushion if it's heat in the moment, but at the same time, you're hundred percent right you know, you're, you're a, with a, your major driver, your major star, you're with a major team, a major sponsor. And you definitely pointed it out the perfect analogy that, you know, it, it's a, a product that is consumed quite significantly by kids. So um, and I know that, you know, I've had a, um, a history of friendships with uh, individuals that, you know, uh, are either have either down syndrome or autistic. Um, my son is borderline autistic. My wife works with special needs kids. Uh, she's been doing that for 15 years now in high school in our town. So I, I certainly can relate to that. I, I, I'm, I'm willing to give Kyle a little bit of latitude, but when you get to the point of that, yeah, NASCAR made the right call to 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 penalize him. And but again, I'm gonna go back to that thing where I still think Denny Hamlin should have penalized, you know. So, but yeah. anyway, well, we're getting off a little bit off the track, but you know, we're gonna talk a little bit more about uh Phoenix, the final race this coming Sunday, the championship uh, deciding race uh in a little bit. But Ben, you know, we always like to talk uh, early on in the podcast about what episode it is and how that episode number may uh, correspond with you know a success of a certain race car certain drivers that drove those cars and that last few weeks we've had numbers uh, what 35 and 36 where no one's ever won a race in those cars which kind of is a little bit surprising but this is episode 37 and you again as usual did a great job in getting some great facts and research about uh, the number 37 and its significance in nascar and kind of like it's partners in with the 35 and the 36. Yeah, there is one highlight, but not much more than that. So I'm, I'm going to leave it to you, Ben, to, to tell us about the 37 and its history uh, in NASCAR. Okay. Well, uh, Jerry, a, a driver and team owner, actually, by the name of Frank Christian, uh, first put the number 37 on the racetrack on July 10th 1949 at the old daytona beach and road course and again to for fans may uh not know that who are just tuning into our podcast it, it was a track about four miles long and part of it was on highway a1a and then you took a real sharp left turn and went right out on the beach uh and raced part of the part of the way on the sand and got uh into three and four and went back on the uh on a1a down at Daytona before the Daytona International Speedway was built. So that's what that track was. And that's the first time the number 37 was uh, run in NASCAR competition. But on April 18th, 1968, at a, at a track at Columbia, South Carolina, Columbia Speedway, uh, Bobby Isaac, the 1970 NASCAR champion, drove the number 37 for a 
team owner named Nord Kroskoff, mm-hmm. who later took the number 37 off the car and put 71 on there. And of course, 71 was driven by uh, Bobby Isaac, by Dave Marcus, Buddy Baker. Uh, so it was a winning number 71 was, and we're not quite to number 71 in the podcast. We will be someday, but 37 only had one victory so far. And that, as I said, April 18th, 1968 on the old Columbia Speedway. And it, Columbia Speedway was part of the NASCAR Cup Series schedule until uh, 1971, and then it was taken away. The The track is still not really a track anymore. I guess it's a place where they do concerts and uh, various things. It was resurrected in, uh, excuse me, 2009, and they tried to maybe get it back on the schedule. It wasn't uh, part of the plan, but they still use it for things down there. It's a beautiful area where the where races once took place. But, uh, yeah, so April 18th, 1968, Bobby Isaac. Folks, you don't get this information anywhere else. This man is an ex- excellent historian. I mean, you know, I've, I've been in this game for, uh, with the NASCAR side of things for the last 25, 30 years, but Ben is a walking, talking encyclopedia. You're not going to get <laughs> stories like that anywhere else. So I'm really, really happy to be, you know, working with you, Ben. And, you know, the, the thing about the 37 uh, is that, you know, again, we talked about this last week in the episode, uh, you know, th- episode 36, that for whatever reason, you know, like the number 35, 36, and now the 37 just were not popular. But you told me something off the air that I found extremely intriguing uh, that involved Richard Childress and and potentially the 37. And this is against folks, this is a story you're not going to hear anywhere else on any other podcast. I mean, mm-hmm. Ben White, like I said, is a walking, talking encyclopedia You've got to hear this story. Okay, Ben, I'm going to give you the floor on this one. Well, it was just something interesting that Richard told me uh, after the death of Dale Earnhardt, and and you can imagine the shock of losing the seven-time champion. Of course, we all were just totally in shock when when he passed. Uh, And and the way he passed was, of course, the crash on the last lap of the 2001 Daytona 500. Mm Mm-hmm. And at that time, of course, in the days that followed, Richard was very much just had decided not to even field a car anymore. He and his wife, Judy, had talked and said, we're done. We're not going to even race anymore. And then they decided, okay, there's a lot of employees that really depend on us to, you know, for their livelihoods. And so we, we do need to continue on. That's what Dale would want us to do. And he and he and Richard had talked about this on several hunting trips. If something happens to me, we'll continue on. You promise you will. Yes. And vice versa. If something had happened to Richard, you know, he promised Dale, uh, that, you know, that, yeah, Dale said, yes, we will continue on, et cetera. So they had to come up with a, a car number pretty quickly. So they chose 29 and 29 was the, the number that they used, but car Kevin Harvick in the car. But there was, Richard told me, said, had I thought about it a little more, I would have put 37 on the car. And I said, well, why was, what, what was the significance of 37? He said, well, three would have been the number that, of course, we used with Dale for so many years. And seven was the number of championships that Dale had already accumulated six with us. And then he had a championship with, uh, uh, Osterlin mm-hmm. uh, in 1980s. So that would, that, that one, uh, Rod Osterlin, and then the six he had with us. So that would have made seven. So we would have put 37 on the car had we just thought it through better. Well, Derek Cope had been running number 37. He attempted, Cope attempted to qualify for the 19 or 2001 Daytona 500 and did not make the field. And I'm sure they probably could have worked it out to put 37 on their cars had they really wanted to do, I'm sure Derek would have said, sure, you could do that. So 37 was the number that they, Richard said, had I thought it through better, we would have run 37, not 29. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but 29 was simply, you know, people have asked me why 29, 29 was just a number that was the the first one that was available uh, at the time when Dale passed away. And, you know, it's just interesting that, you know, later on, Richard did tell me, he said 37 was a number that I should have used and yeah. they just didn't do it. But 
Interesting, though. I, I never really thought about that, but three being the number that Dale had raced so many years and seven for seven championships, and it would have been significant. But it, as fate would have had it, 29 was the number uh, in the, that they ran so many years after Dale passed. Right, exactly. You know, I'm going through, um, in our thanks again to our friends at racingreference.info. It's actually racing-reference.info. I'm going through the list of the number 37. Now, Ryan Priest has been driving that car, and he uh, took uh, over that number. Uh, let's see, I'm, I'm going down it with, uh, you know, he's he drove it. He's driven it for the last couple of years. Before that was was, uh, was his former teammate, Chris Busher. But looking at the, some of the names that have driven the 37, let's just say, starting from, let's say, 1980. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I'm looking at this. We've got, uh, let's see here, we've got... Um, Tim Richmond drove it for uh, about six, half dozen races. Tom Sneva, the Indianapolis uh, uh, 500 driver and uh, in, uh, IndyCar driver, he drove it for a couple of races. Neil Bonnet, uh, Mark Martin drove the 37 at Rockingham in uh, 82. Donnie Allison, uh, and again, Neil Bonnet. Then we go into um, uh, John Andretti, you know, the late John Andretti, great guy. I just absolutely love that man. Yes. Jeremy, Jeremy Mayfield uh, for a long stint with in the 37. Then you mentioned Derek Cope, obviously. And then he had the, the 37 from uh, 2001 through, let's see here. Uh, where are we at here? 2003. And then we had Todd Bodine in a few races, Kevin LePage. I mean, the list just continues to go. Tony Raines, that's a name we haven't heard from in a long time. Bill Elliott drove the 37 for three races in 2006 at Kansas, Atlanta, and Phoenix. Uh, And then we've got, uh, let's see here, we've got Travis Quapple. We've got uh, uh, David Gilliland. I mean, this, this is a car number that was really popular. And, and I'm mentioning all these names, Mike Bliss again. Um, and But here's the, here's the real kicker, Ben. And this is something I think I'm going to surprise you with. Okay. okay. Mm-hmm. So again, our buddies at racing, racing dash reference.info, one of the best uh, resources, any NASCAR fan, any racing fan would ever want to get. I'm looking at the 37. And I don't know if you caught this or not when you were doing your research. How many starts do you think the 37 has had? Uh, honestly, I don't know. To be well, truthful. this is a very, perhaps the scariest number in addition to the number 13. 666 starts. Oh, that's, wow. that's the devil's <laughs> number, you know? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, yeah, that might be why it's only got one victory. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, well, I mean, you know, obviously, um, Ryan Priest will race it uh, this Sunday, hopefully, and, and you know, that will make it six, six, 667. But I mean, as we're talking, that I mean, that, I saw that the, when, when you were talking about it, the 37. That scared the bejesus out of me. I said, 666? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it just jumped good. out of the page of me, you know? <laughs> yeah, I know. That's, uh, that's very interesting. I honestly didn't see that number. Maybe it's good that I didn't see that <laughs> <laughs> Right, right. Well, let's get this race over with so we can get rid of that 666. I, I am, yeah. I'm pretty superstitious, though. But, yeah. But, you know, you, we, we talked about the 37 and, you know, that children's story you told was just an, an incredible story. And, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, we we have got so much going on this week because this is Champions Week down in Phoenix. We got the four drivers, uh, or as I'm actually calling it, the two teams facing off because you've got two guys from Hendrick Motorsports and you got two guys from Joe Gibbs Racing that are going to battle for the championship. But you know, one thing I wanted to kind of you know kind of segue, if you will, uh, into what we like to do each week at the driver of the week and the track of the week and. Obviously, it's Phoenix Raceway because it's got a history. But, you know, one of the things, you know, uh, that Phoenix Raceway has been around for, I think, 60 some years, I think, somewhere in that yeah, neighborhood. 1964 was when it opened. Okay, so 50, 57 years. Yeah, 57 years. Yeah. My math is right. So, right. you know, over a half a century and NASCAR didn't race there. I, I, I do believe NASCAR's um, was Southwest Tour, I think, raced there at some point before this but the nascar cup series didn't race at phoenix raceway which previously was known as phoenix international raceway and then for one race it was also known as jeff gordon raceway as well too (laughs) but um the first season that nascar cup racing uh came to phoenix international raceway at the time was 1988 and you and i were both there and i i didn't even know that you were there but 
we both have some really great stories to talk about. Yeah. And, you know, the biggest story of all, and it was Alan Kowicki. He wins his first ever cup race. I think that was first of what, five, I think it was that he won. Yeah, it was five. He had five victories in the cup series. Yeah, right. sure did. And I will never forget that race because he, not only did he put on a show and, you know, this is a guy who was an owner operator, you know, basically did everything on a shoestring budget. Um, but he winds up winning. And then for the first time, I, th I think it was the first time ever in NASCAR history. And I, I remember this whole day, like it was yesterday, he did the Kowicki or the, actually the Polish victory lap where he went around the track celebrating backwards. And I mm -hmm. thought that was really kind of cool. You know, he went in the opposite direction. Ben, I mean, let's let's start off with you. I mean, you know, a, a lot of great stories uh, out of Phoenix Raceway. They, you know, they've been around now for 30, what, uh, 37, no, 35 years, I guess it's been now. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, in, in competition. What do you remember about that Kowicki win and just in some of the other stories you can uh, tell us about Phoenix well, Raceway? The well, the thing I remember most about that day, uh, Jerry, was the fact that here's a guy who came down from Wisconsin to race against the NASCAR guys with virtually nothing. I mean, he came down with a box of tools and a transporter that was not really much of a transporter compared to what the, the other guys in the garage area had. It, mm -hmm. it just wasn't, no disrespect to Allen, but it just wasn't one of the mammoth big types of trans you know transporters if you will that those guys had and and he had just a few crew guys he just he was just on a shoestring budget but he was extremely smart to be uh not only the driver of his team but uh owner of his team and he knew exactly what he wanted to do and he mm -hmm. and people would tell you straight up he was very difficult to work for at times you know ray evernham uh, worked for him as a crew member mm -hmm. And he's told me in the past, he said he was just tough to work for because he knew exactly what he wanted to do, how he wanted to do it. He didn't want to vary from it. And either you loved Alan or you hated Alan. It was just that way. And uh, he just, he didn't want to vary from the, the game plan that he had, but he could calculate things in his head as he was driving the race car as to tire pressures and, and, the things that were going on on the on pit stops, he get, I calculated his gas mileages and all that as he was doing 200 miles an hour on the racetrack. He was a very, very unique individual. And by talking about that Phoenix race, he was right up there in the top 10 with those guys all afternoon. And it came down to, you know, gas mileage and having the right car. All the pieces of this puzzle came together. And before you know it, here's this underdog Alan Kowicki out there and suddenly he's out in the lead and whammo he's you know he takes this checkered flag and and no one had ever seen what was called the Polish victory lap ever in NASCAR and all of a sudden he whips around and, and goes backward on the racetrack it was very it was very entertaining to see that it was just different you know it was before the burnouts it was before uh, the Carl Edwards backflips. It was before all that. It was none of those types of things had been done before. And I guess you could sort of say he was the, the father of the post-race uh, celebration other than just getting out of the car and just doing the number one sign. He did something special. And, and that's what they called him special K because, right. Right. and yeah, because he gets, he could come up and do, do the things. But I think what was so interesting about, getting off the beaten path a little bit. What was so interesting about, uh, about Allen was when he went on uh, a few years later to win the 1992 Winston cup championship was that he did it with really just a, a dozen or so guys, mm -hmm. the close knit guys and all these other race teams that he beat, you know, junior Johnson's team and the Petties and the wood brothers and all these top teams that he won the championship against, they were really sweating in, in their shoes because like, well, cause corporate America was asking them, well, why do you need all these crew guys? Why do you need all these people? Because that, this guy over here did it with 12 <laughs> or 15 people. Right. Why do you need them? Right. They had, they had staffs at that time. I don't know what the numbers were, but he did it with a dozen or so guys and they had 50 or 75 well-paid people. Now you've got teams that are, 
you know, 500 people of yeah. engineers. And, and, but in that day he did it with a dozen and they had, let's call it 50 or 75 people, well-paid people. And they're like, why are we, why, why are all these budgets we're doing? And he was really rattling some cages because <laughs> he was proving to them, I can win a championship with a dozen people. Right. You got all these people, what do you need them for? And it was really starting to anger some folks because we don't need to pay you all this money. This guy over here down the street, right here behind the speedway, just won a championship. What are we doing this for? You know? Yeah. So they had to justify some employment after him. He, he, he showed them he could do it. And he was, but there's so many things we could say about Alan. He, he did it. He did it well and did it his way as the, as the song Frank Sinatra say, song said, he did it his way. And that was his, uh, his theme song. He, you know, when he won uh, or when he was at the NASCAR uh, awards banquet, he, they played that song. If I remember yeah, they correctly. Did. They so, did. I mean, but, you know, I, I've got so many Kowicki stories as you do, but I, a couple of ones that I wanted to point out and the one, well, I'm going to get back to the race itself, but uh, in a minute, but two things that really struck me um, was a, had he not been tragically killed in that plane crash was April 1st of 1993. I think it was the date. Um, mm -hmm. I think he would have gone on to win probably at least three or four more championships. I just felt he had it in him. I mean, you know, he was just coming into his prime at that time, in my opinion, but I think, you know, one of the, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the classiest things I've ever seen in NASCAR, I wasn't there in person, but I obviously saw it on TV was when, uh, when Allen was killed right outside of Bristol, Tennessee in the plane crash, Rusty Wallace wound up winning the race and he did the Polish victory lap in honor of, of Rusty, of, of uh, Allen rather. One of the classiest, classiest things I've ever seen in my life. But, you know, the, the other thing about Allen uh, that I will forever, forever, forever kick myself for doing um, was probably... Oh, let's see, maybe, well, we were getting ready to move into our first house. So that would have been 97. So, um, no, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. Our first house was 91. Um, we were still in the apartment. That's right. We were still in the apartment in 91 and we moved into the house a little bit later that year. So, you know, I'm going through things and tossing out stuff and that kind of thing. The number one regret I'll always have is that uh, his PR gentleman, uh, PR director at the time and um, I'm drawing a total blank now on his name. Unfortunately, he was, uh, the, was it uh, Tom Roberts? No, not Tom Roberts. It was a son of the gentleman who was president of Hooters. Um, God, I'm drawing a total blank now on his name, but I had interviewed Alan uh, a couple of weeks earlier than that. Um, I'm sorry. No, it was the year before uh, in, in Michigan. And I was working at USA today at the time and had a great interview with, with, uh, with Alan. And I got a personal letter, written letter, you know, uh, typed out and signed by the gentleman that was the PR guy for the team at the time, not Tom Roberts, because, but this mm -hmm. gentleman, he perished in the same plane crash. Oh, I see. Mm -hmm. and, and I, I said to myself, well, you know, yeah, it, it means a lot to me, but somehow or other, I tossed it out. And I, I mean, <laughs> there was a point about 10, 15 years ago, I said to myself, maybe I should try to find the Chicago dump and just dig through yeah. the thing, you know, but, but I mean, it, it touched me that he, you know, he, he reached out to me and, you know, personally, and, and Alan was just so always so gracious in that, but getting back, my best story of, about Alan was that 1988 race, because I had been out uh, in California for the NHRA season ending race. And then the following week was, you know, weekend was the, uh, was the race in, in Phoenix. So I'll never forget. I mean, you know, it was a great race. Love the great celebration that Alan had. But the one thing that I will never forget about this one, and you're going to have a good laugh on this one. Uh, I don't know if you watch the race from the press box or in the media center down in the infield, but I was in the press box upstairs. That had to be the filthiest press box I have ever seen in my life. I mean, where we were sitting at, there were cigar, I mean, cigarette butts and you know, I mean, it was dusty. They hadn't, they probably hadn't dusted it for years. Uh, it was of course the first NASCAR cup race they had had there. And for whatever reason, that thing just sticks in my mind that it was such a, a dirty media center. I mean, you know, and it, I don't mean that with, you know, any disrespect to the track, but they probably could have used, a, it probably could have used a good cleaning before the race. But, mm. you know, it, it, when they brought Allen upstairs to the media center to do interviews after the race too, he was sitting down 
And he even commented, he says, he said, what's all these cigarette butts and that kind of stuff or something to that effect, you know? Mm. So, but that's, that's the one thing that I, I remember about that race that sticks out. But yeah, well, well, you know, Alan, Alan was the kind of guy there that he, he just, I mean, he was very particular about that kind of thing. He was a neat freak. Yes, exactly. Yeah, he was. Exactly. He, I mean, every nut, every bolt, everything on his race cars. I mean, all the screw heads had to be turned a certain way. Yep. yep. And everything about the cars had to be done a certain way. And by the way, uh, I thought of his name, uh, Mark Brooks. Mark Brooks. Thank you. That's right. Yeah. I couldn't, yeah I Mar- I just, it just hit me. Mark yes, Brooks. That's Mark Brooks. Name. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, it, and, and, you know, Alan, and, and this is another story. A lot of people didn't, may not understand either. Um, you know, he had a shot to, he was very close to putting ink on paper to drive for junior Johnson. Yes. Yes. And it, I mean, to the point where the, the contract was on the table, the ink pen was in hand and he was, you know, the leather chairs pulled out from the table. I was like, this is done. And he wouldn't sign the contract. And Junior's like, well, why aren't you going to sign the contract? He said, because I can do it better my way. Exactly. And, right. and he and and Junior kind of took offense to that. He is like, what do you mean? He said, I just I just want to do it the way I want to do it. And he like, you're in, in so many words, like, well, you're nuts to not do this. I've got a team. I've got a great sponsor. And by the way, uh, I don't know if I can say this on air, but I mean, is oh, I will. Maxwell House <laughs> was going. Maxwell House was going to go with Allen, right, and right. and they, and he kept and Junior kept saying, "Son, I'm telling you, you don't have a sponsor with them." Oh, yes, I do. No, you don't. And as it turned out, he didn't have the sponsor he thought he had, and it had gone over to Junior's team. And he said, "You need to sign with me because you don't have the sponsor you think you do." Right, right. And and he's like, well, I'm still not going to sign with you because I'm going to do it my way. Well, and, and sure and that, enough, right, right. you know, he did. Uh, he did it his way, and he went on and won a championship. But, you know, he, he was so determined. He was going to, I'm going to make it happen, and he did. And he proved his point, and sadly, we lost Allen the next April. I mean, he took a championship trophy to his house in December of, mm-hmm. of 92 and we lost him just a few months later in April. And it was, I'll just never forget. I was not there at Bristol the evening of the plane crash, but I got a call in the middle of the night telling me that he had, he had perished in a plane crash. And it was just, gosh, it was so shocking to hear that news like yeah, everybody it. else. That's right. Well, you know, the thing about Alan is, you know, I spend quite a bit of time with him and, we used to joke a lot about, you know, the fact that he was of Polish heritage. I'm a Polish heritage. Um, mm-hmm. He's from Milwaukee. I'm from Chicago. You know, there was a, a very much of a connection, Midwest connection there. And the one thing going, you know, kind of following or extending your Junior Johnson story, I do remember talking to Junior about that incident. I don't know, maybe seven, eight, maybe 10 years later it was one of, on one of the NASCAR media tours. And that somehow came up in conversation. There was a, a couple of us, you know, uh, reporters and that. And Junior kind of at that point had already, had, I had forgiven Alan for not signing, but Junior did make a very poignant point. He said, Alan wanted to do it his way, but he also wanted to be like us. And he didn't, and Junior, that's where he got offended back when this happened because he didn't, I guess, understand or maybe visualize Allen's long-term goal. He wanted to become a Junior Johnson. He wanted to become a Richard Petty. He wanted to become, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, what would become a, a Rick Hendrick. You know, he he wanted to do it his way. And again, you know, we keep on going back to that "My Way" song that uh, that Frank Sinatra sang. Paul Anka wrote, um, but his just he had this. He he had to do it his way, and he felt that if he was going to sign with Junior. And I've heard this from a couple of different people. I did not hear it directly from Alan, but uh, I've heard it from a couple of people that I really, you know, trust and they know knew him very well. He just felt that if he would have signed that contract and gone with Junior, sure, he would have had a great team, great sponsor, great equipment, great personnel, but he would have been a driver for hire essentially. And that's how he, uh, one of the persons I talked to said that Alan said it that way. He did not want to be a driver for hire. He wanted to have, you know, um, a significant. Uh, amount of autonomy. He wanted to have a significant amount of control. And he just felt that junior, um, you know, would, um, 
would um, you know do that. So I think that looking at what why his reasoning, I can understand his reasoning, but you know it it, it you know it could have changed it could have changed his life. I mean, but you know he was the guy and the guy that he aspired to be. What a Junior Johnson and everybody you know all the big names that were at the time. And, you know, unfortunately he never got to extend that, that, that period of time, if you will, because he, he lost, we lost him. And, you know, the irony too, then uh, Ben, and I don't know if you knew this gentleman, but um, it was right around, God, I'm drawing a blank on the year, but it was very near that plane crash. I want to say maybe within a, maybe 20, 30 miles, maybe uh, a good friend of mine who was a drag racing reporter, his name was Ed Dykes. He was from, um, Ah, geez, he was from, I know his parents had retired and gone, I think to Florida or whatever, but he was coming back to his hometown and he was, it was somewhere near the Bristol area and he was flying, I think it was January, uh, I want to say maybe 90, maybe 90, I think it might've been something mm. like that. And he, unfortunately he had, a you know, his own plane, single prop plane, a single engine plane rather. And he was the only one in there and his wings uh, frosted over, iced over, and he went down, you know, very near uh, that location. So, you know, that, that area has always kind of spooked me. I mean, I, I did go out, um, you know, when I was with Yahoo back between 2004 and 2009, I did go out to the area where Alan's um, plane had crashed. And much like I said last week, when we were talking about the uh, Hendrick Motorsports uh, plane that crashed in Bull Mountain out near Martinsville. Very, very eerie feeling I got when I was there, you know, around the area where Kulwicki died. But, um, you know, one other thing I want to mention, I'm going to get, turn it back to you as well. And sorry for going so long here with my stories. But, oh, no, that's fine. But one thing that has really been a true testament to Alan, his memory, his legacy, and I have to give you know, a, mute, a mutual friend of ours, a very good friend of ours, Tom Roberts, yeah. a PR guy extraordinaire. He started the Kowicki, um, what is it called? Kowicki um, uh, Driver Development Program, KDDP. And that started, I guess, around maybe six years ago, I want to say, maybe five years ago. But, you know, Tom has done a fantastic job with that thing. And, you know, it's helped keep Alan's legacy alive. And, you know, you, you can never guess what a person could go on to, but I think, you know, like we said earlier, Alan would have gone on to many championships and, uh, you know, it's, it's just so sad. You know, it's been 30 years. I can't believe it's been 30 years. And yeah, uh, yeah. One, one, one last final story real quick here too. Of yeah, Alan. sure, sure. The day that he passed, I woke up around, I don't know, maybe 7.30 or whatever. And the news was on the radio and I was just, I was shocked like everybody. I mean, I was so upset because we really had that connection, you know, between our heritage or, you know, the, uh, the area we grew up in all that kind of stuff. So I had to go to the dentist that particular day and I go in there and my dentist, you know, uh, at the time, very bubbly personality, you know, young guy, he said, Jerry, how you doing? How's everything going? And I just like, was like, I, I was stoned. I couldn't say anything. He says, Oh man, are you Okay. And I didn't know how to react. And then I finally said, lost a really, really good friend, you know, several hours ago in a plane crash. And he had heard about it on the news. He wasn't a big NASCAR fan, but he'd heard of Alan Kowicki because he also was Polish as well, too. And I mean, just, you know, thinking about Alan just brings back so, so many memories. So I apologize mm -hmm. for going so long. I know you've got some more memories. I'll, no, I'll leave the floor to you. Go ahead. No, that's fine. I, I mean, we both, you know, when you get into situations like this, you, you your mind just sort of floods back to, and you're right, 30, gosh, almost 30 years now. But, I, you know, the same sort of thing for me. I mean, I got the phone call in the middle of the night, and, of course, you luck you go back to bed, but you just don't go back to sleep. Yeah. You just think, yep. you know, wow. And it, you're just so so shocked. But, you know, you're talking about Tom Roberts, and Tom told me, he said, I was supposed to be on the airplane. Really? And, I did not know that. I did not know yeah, that. Yeah, he was. And, and they were coming back from an autograph session, in Knoxville, in was it? Knoxville, yeah. right. Yeah, right. It was right. Knoxville. And he right. said, I'm just going to drive back. I'm tired. I'm going to drive back and I'll do, I've got somewhere to be. One of those, it was situations where, uh, you know, the like a Buddy Holly thing, you yeah. know, with Waylon Jennings and in, in, in almost. And 
he he said, I've just, I'm just not going to go back and I'll drive back. I've got somewhere to be. And of course, you know, we would have lost Tom and, and on that too. And, and another thing, I mean, I, I hesitate, I guess I hesitate to say this, but I will, you know, part of that story too, Earnhardt, uh, and was flying his plane or he wasn't flying the plane, but his pilot was, mm-hmm. and he was a little bit, of, I believe a little bit ahead of, uh, Kawiki that, that night, uh, to eight, seven, eight minutes ahead or something. And they actually heard on the radio, on the two-way radio, the crash. Oh, and wow. somehow it was an open mic situation. And, um, so the, yeah, they were, they knew what had happened, uh, when it happened. So somehow the mic had opened some way and they, they actually heard it happen. So, uh, yeah, so it was just one of those really terrible nights. It was one of those nights where it was a freezing rain, I think. And, you know, one of those really cold, nasty nights Mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, you know, talking about Alan though, back to his driving and his style of doing things. I mean, he, it was hard to get a smile out of Alan unless, of course, unless he won, but I mean, he was so all business and all racing and all, you know, he's sort of like Fred Lorenzen in years past. Mm-hmm. You know, Fred was the kind of guy who, you know, you would actually see him get out of a race car, not my Fred Lorenzen, he'd get out of a race car and go to a phone booth a lot of kids like, what's a phone booth? I mean, they used to, you know, they don't have the phone booths anymore, but he would actually go to a phone booth at the racetrack and call a stockbroker. <laughs> right. I remember that. You know, right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I just want to race. So put so much money on Exxon or whatever. <laughs> and uh, so Alan was very much a modern day Fred Lorenzen. He carried a briefcase with him. Yep. Everybody yes. Went. The famous break briefcase. You're right. Yeah, exactly. He would. And uh, he, he would, he all, had all these charts and all these things. He was total business when he got out in the race car and outside the race car. Um, he was just such a unique individual. I'm trying to put my finger on how would you describe him? And I'd go over to AK racing and you'd look through the, uh, and it's been redesigned a couple of times, uh, the building has, but mm-hmm. you could, you could go in the front door literally, and you could look through to walk in the door and look to your left. And it was a picture window there. And you could actually see Alan sitting at the desk working in his office you remember that yes yes and yes. and then it became jeff bodine racing and then i think there was a couple of t- i think the uh oh gosh there's been several several teams in that building and it had been redesigned several days but no kidding you could go in there and you could see alan sitting at his desk talking on the phone and he'd throw up a hand to the fans that come in and i mean it's just he's just a cool individual it's hard to get to alan uh, you know, as far as an interview sometimes, because mm-hmm. he was, and then if you did get to him, you could talk to him after the race, if you had a top three or top five finish, but I mean, getting him to sit down long enough to give you an interview sometimes was tough Exactly, uh, because he was all the time. And if you did get an interview with him, he was, wait a minute, hold on a minute. You know, that, <laughs> you know, that <laughs> voice, you remember, I try to do my Alan Kowicki impression, but it was like, hang on a minute. You know, turn it to the left. You know, turn that. You know, have you put? Did you put the tires on? You know, he's he's on in the middle of something all the time. Right. You know, trying to talk about the race car. But anyway, he was a great guy, and I we miss him. It's hard to believe thirty years. It really is hard to believe. Yeah. Gosh, I mean, I didn't think about that till you said it. Uh, twenty twenty three would be thirty years. Gosh, yeah, that's right. That's no. right. I'm sorry. That's right. I, I was, Ooh, but still, twenty years. Right. Yeah. Right. You're really close. That's 30 years. That's yeah. hard to believe. Well, you know, the, the, the other thing about Alan is, um, and the, uh, we, we need to talk a little bit more about, uh, you know, wrap up the podcast and talk about the, this week's race, but, you know, Alan was just such a unique individual and, you know, he also inspired a lot of drivers that followed his, his, uh, his tenure in the sport. He was an engineer. I mean, mm-hmm. you have guys like Ryan Newman. I remember I talked to Ryan about this once, and even though he was not a, um, I, I wouldn't say he was a Ryan, uh, uh, Alan Kowicki fan. Alan did play a very uh, key role in some of you know uh, Newman's decisions, um, you know, in terms of racing and also becoming an, you know getting his engineering degree, uh, you know, from uh, what was it Purdue, I believe it was. Yeah, it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So you know, Alan was really uh, a guy that. He he was tough, 
but he was also, you know, and he didn't really want to show this side to a lot of people, but he was also very generous as well. And, you know, I'm just going to say the final thing I'm going to say about him and we're going to move on here is, you know, he took, <laughs> we, when I talked to him, uh, we did that interview in Michigan, uh, Michigan International Speedway in 19, I believe it was 1990. And he walked from his car to, he grabbed his, his ever present briefcase was uh, on pit road. Uh, and he, we walked together with him carrying the, the suitcase or briefcase. We sat down right outside his, his hauler. And, you know, like you said, I mean, he was going through things as we're talking. I mean, he was, don't get me wrong. He was gr- fantastic. It was a great interview, very cordial, but you're right. I mean, he, he was the kind of guy that could multitask and do so many different things. And it's just, it's just really sad. We, we yeah. don't have any more, but. I know we got, but the good news though, Jerry, we got lots of, uh, Video, audio. Yes, we can, that's what I love about TV and audio. We can always go back and and even our fans that listen to the podcast. If you go to the internet, you can find audio and video of Alan and enjoy some of those, you know, interviews. And that's what's so great about it is having that ability to go back and visit with him. Uh, uh, you know, just go back and look at some of that stuff. It's a lot of fun to to right. do that. You know, I, I can't remember who told me this, but somebody said, and these were very prophetic words. He said, Alan was like 10 or 15 years of before his time or ahead of his time. You know, yeah. he, 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 he was, and he was the first engineer that I know of that was a race driver in yes, NASCAR. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And you're right, as you said, and that, that, that he was the first one to do it. And you could tell, even listening to him, final thing, he listened to him on the radio and it wasn't, well, the car is loose and going tight center he didn't he didn't say that he was like this is what i need you to do yeah when i come in this you know cha- air pressure to the left front lower it to the right do this do that i mean he'd tell his crew what to do he, was, he didn't ask them what to do <laughs> he knew what to do because he was like i'm an engineer i know what to do you know he do he knew what to ask for where to this and no disrespect to today's drivers he just he was just an engineer he knew what he wanted in the car and you know, so that has said a lot about him. So exactly, you know, he he was kind of like a crew chief behind the wheel, so to speak. Yeah, you know? good good way to put that. Excellent exactly. way to put that. Yeah. All right, Ben, we're we're kind of coming out of turn four, getting ready to head towards the finish line. Yeah. Let's talk about this weekend's race, the the big race of the year, the championship deciding race at Phoenix Raceway. We've got um, you know uh, we've got Denny Hamlin, um, you know Martin Truex Jr. from Joe Gibbs Racing. We've got Kyle Larson and Chase Elliott, the defending Cup champion from uh, um, Hendrick Motorsports, they're going to go for the, the, the everything. I mean, here's one thing, though, you, know, you, you touched on this last week, and we, I wanted to talk a little bit more about it uh, this week because it's so pertinent. You know, we've had this format, the playoff format, in its current form since 2014. Every single year, and I triple-checked this unless I missed something, every single year, the seven years that we've had this format, the champion has won the final race that the odds of that are astronomical. Can we see the potential of a eighth straight champion winning the race to get that championship this week? Um, I, I, I mean, going by the odds and going by the numbers. Yeah. Um, I personally think it's going to be Kyle Larson, our champion. Mm-hmm. And I think it's going to come down to, I mean, it'd be great if you could, if it would be a Cinderella finish and it's going to come down to a Hendrick car versus a Gibbs or a, you know, a Gibbs car. I mean, right. it, say, you know, comes down between Larson and, and Truex or something like that. I mean, you don't, you don't want it to be a Hendrick and a Hendrick. I, I, I would think not, you know, and does, and that poses the question, does, does Chase not, Kyle Larson out of the way. I mean, you know, I mean, I mean, really, seriously. I mean, what do you do on a case like that? Or I, the best scenario is that they're four wide coming to the line. Okay, let's just let's just go for broke and get the the greatest movie ending we can get. I don't exactly. know, but I, I mean, I, it's it's going to be interesting to see. Really, I, you know, I. I, I tell you what, I predicted at Martinsville it'd be somebody outside the top eight to win. So I've I've cashed in all my chips for the year. <laughs> I was right. It was Bowman. I have no clue what's going to happen at Phoenix. I, I really, you know, Larson's had a great year. I say let's let's just 
uh, let him let me go for the championship. Have a great night. What is it? Eight wins, nine wins, nine, nine wins. Yeah. Yeah. Get the championship right off into the sunset on the big white horse. And let's start over in 2022. I mean, I just want the, the I'm a Cinderella finish guy. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I just want to So it's going to be interesting to see four guys going for a championship. It should be fun. Let's put it that way. Right. Well, I, I don't want to put you on the spot, but this is a question that, I saw online the other night, or last night actually was, and um, it made me think a lot. Okay, so it's Hendrick against Gibbs. Mm -hmm. You've got Denny Hamlin, who has a kind of a noted temper. You've got got the lingering fallout from Martinsville. You've got each team not only has two drivers in the championship for it, they also have two drivers that are not in the championship four we have never seen this in action and it's another thing that's kind of astounding to me because we've seen every champion win the final race of every season since the 2014 when the format came into play but what i'm wondering is could we potentially see the other guys you know uh, the bowman or the um william um um uh byron you know could is there any way they can help a Chase Elliott or Kyle Larson or, you know, can, um, you know, uh, uh, Christopher Bell or, you know, uh, help out, you know, Truex and uh, Denny Hamlin, or what happens if somebody, you know, has a problem, you know, late or early in the race, let's say Denny Hamlin, but he's able to continue, but his chances to win the championships are over with. Do we see any kind of, you know, funny stuff? And I don't mean that in a funny way. I mean, you know, odd stuff you know something that could impact the way the race plays out we've never seen it you know nascar has been very good about policing things but hey this is this seems like a very odd year especially after coming off the covid year last year you know this is like the first true real year we've had you know uh, since 2019 so how do you look at the other variables you know that not so much the guys that are going to get the championship or going for the championship but the guys who are on their team, their teammates who don't have a chance themselves to win the championship, but they could have a significant impact on how the race plays out. How do you kind of look at that? Well, that's such a tough question. And as you were talking, a race comes back to mind. And I think it was like 2006 or 2007. I'm not sure about the year, but you remember there was a year where Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Jimmy Johnson were racing for the win at Talladega and a third Hendrick car driven by Brian Vickers right, comes, right. comes up and accidentally wrecks the two of them. Mm-hmm. And they're all teammates. And Brian Vickers goes to victory lane and he wrecked Jimmy Johnson and Dale Earnhardt. They're two teammates. I mean, all right. So in that scenario, you're at Phoenix. It's the last race of the year. Does, does William Byron accidentally take out Kyle Larson and chase and he wins the race but they lose the championship yeah i mean it's so so my question is this is there a meeting somewhere on the hendrick motorsports campus that says look (laughs) i mean these two guys are going for a championship what is the question i mean i'm answering the question with a question do you do you go to william and alex and say look don't even get in the same time zone as these guys yes, if they're going yes. for a championship. Right, right. I mean, right. just, just it's you're you have nothing to gain by winning. I mean, your sponsor loves you. I don't know how to answer that question because it's like you, it's a it's a double edged sword. If you win and they lose, what do you say to your sponsors? You know what I mean? It's yes. like I don't know how to. It's it's such a tough question to answer because it could be that they. They win, but yet they lose the championship to somebody by a point. Yes, exactly. You know, uh, so I, I don't know how to, I don't think I've even answered your question, but it's, it's one of those, uh, I think what everybody has to do is go for broke, but let's go for broke, but let's see how things look in the last five laps. Don't, go win, but, but I'll call you back. <laughs> <laughs> 
go go for broke, but but radio to me, and let's just see how things are when you think you're going to win. Does right, that make right. sense? No, it totally makes sense. I totally agree. With you. <laughs> let and, me ask me first if you think you're going to win, and let me let's check with me first if you think you might be in a position to win. But ask me first. That's right. Maybe exactly. That's- <laughs> exactly. Well, and let's hope that we don't have a post race incident like we saw at Martinsville. You know, where yeah. somebody, one of the four guys you know, gets beaten out by what have you, some kind of contact with spin, what have you. Yeah. Think about this a minute. It's like, all right, real quick. Okay. I know we got to go look at this there. You're racing and it's two laps, three laps, five laps to go. And it's like, Oh, I could win this thing. This is going to be great. It's like Greg Ives comes back on the radio to bump and said, well, well, hang out a bit. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Mr. H just called and said, Well, just just hold on a minute, and you know, I mean, th- that scenario could be there because think about it: if you if they're trying to win and they could win, but they do the math, and you're Bowman's ahead of Chase, but Chase could win the championship, but then Bowman wins, and somehow that's all this freakiness. Then he's if he wins, he's Chase loses the title by two points. Yep, you know how the I you know those types of scenarios. Right, right, right. So it's like, does he get orders, team orders to team know? orders? Right, right, right. Suddenly he's got a miss in his engine. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't know. It's just I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. Go, just do this. Go get the popcorn and the soft drinks and, and get a good comfy chair because it's going to be fun Sunday. It's going to be interesting to see. Well, I, 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 I totally agree with you. I agree with you about um, uh, Kyle Larson being the win, the winner. But I only have one word. I'm going to kind of conclude yeah. everything with one yeah, yeah. word for the guys that are on this the uh, you know HMS teams or the Gibbs teams that are not you know like you know Bowman, uh, Byron, Bell, etc. I have one word for them: mm-hmm. block. <laughs> Fuck. That's. Yeah. I mean, you know, you don't have to get in anybody. You don't have to, you know, uh, cause a, you know, a, a crash or anything. Just get in somebody's way and let them do the road rage. You know, I mean, it's kind of like I, I, I like this a lot of times, and I, I, I admit it. I, it affected it happened to me last night twice within about a six block uh, uh, span. I had some guy. I was getting ready to leave a parking lot, and this guy came in and did a complete U-turn right in front of me. I had the right of way. He pulls right in front of me. So mm. then he gets onto the street and I'm next to him, or I'm not, he was two lanes over and where the traffic light was is a, it's three lanes, but then as you get past traffic light, it goes into two lanes. So he tries to hold his spot. I try to get in front of him, but then the guy that's in the middle, he tries to cut me off, which he does. So I'm saying to myself, road rage. And for whatever reason, the race at Phoenix and NASCAR came into my mind. What is going to happen Sunday? I think we're going to see some road rage, but we'll see what happens. It's kind of like the guy who races, blinks his lights behind you and and breaks his neck to get in front of you. Then he slams on the brakes. Bingo. Brake checks you. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) I mean, and, and, and I admit that I, you know, within about a mile span after that, I did get in front of each of these guys. And, and, And you know what I did? I slowed down and I had a car (laughs) next to me and we went for probably a half mile, maybe a little bit longer than that. And these guys, I know they were ticked off as anything. And I'm saying to myself, well, hell, I'm going to put myself in Kyle Larson's position. I'm going to block you. And, you know, Denny Hamlin, Martin Truex Jr., whoever you are behind me, you're going to be stuck there, buddy. You know, (laughs) well, listen, Ben, you know, as always, you know, we, we have, we had a spectacular show last week. I thought that, you know, we set a new bar. I think this week's even been, we surpassed that really enjoy talking to you about this, about this. uh, A lot of fun. It's going to be a huge race this weekend. And also for the listeners want to give you a little bit of um, a heads up. We're not going away after the season ends. No, we're going to continue the podcast every single week going forward through yes. the off season. So, you know, uh, make sure that you, uh, you know, get on your regular podcast, uh, the uh, LM, or the device rather, you know, be it, um, you know, uh, the I or iTunes or what have you, uh, and make sure that, you know, that Spotify, et cetera, that you lock us in and, you know, uh, we'll typically have a new episode every Thursday um, with the holidays coming up that might change. It might be Wednesday or maybe Friday, what have you, but, 
Um, you know, that'll only be for those holiday weeks. But I mean, I'm looking forward to a lot of stuff. And Ben, you know this as well as I do, and I'm going to kind of um, uh, kind of drop the surprise out there. We are going to start having some guests, and I'm talking. We're going to talk some 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 major people. I've got some names in my mind. Ben's got some people names in his mind. Uh, we're talking, you know, Hall of Famers and NASCAR Hall of Famers. We're talking some very big names. So we're going to be working on that, and hopefully, I would say in the next two to three episodes, hopefully. We're going to start working on that and getting some guests because I think they're only going to add to the stories. I mean, you know, you know as well as I, there's just so many guys out there that have great stories, and you know, we could go two, three, four hours today. You know, yes, because we could. I, so, but mm-hmm. Ben, as always, thank you ever so much. Uh, enjoy the race this weekend, and um, um, you know, you can't you can't come, uh, argue with me in this one because we're both on on a pick to picking Carl Kyle Larson to win this race. So uh, yeah. we'll see how it turns out. So we'll talk with you next week, and the listeners will will we'll, we'll, uh, have our show ready for you next week. So take care, and thanks very much for listening to a lifetime of NASCAR. He's Ben White. I'm Jerry Bunkowski. Have a great weekend, and especially enjoy the race on Sunday. It's going to be a humdinger. Take care, everyone. Eric Estep here. This episode is brought to you by Forney Industries. Get it done with green. Forney offers a full line of welding and plasma cutting machines, metalworking accessories, and more. For do-it-yourselfers all the way to professional metalworkers, Forney has everything you need for your next project. Shop Forney's top-of-the-line products at forneyind.com. That's Forney, F-O-R-N-E-Y, ind, I-N-D.com, or at an authorized Forney dealer near you.